0: You're listening to the Life's Too Short podcast, produced by Partners in Care, home to Central Oregon's only hospice house. Discover more about our new hospice house and other outstanding services at partnersbend.org. The views, information, or opinions expressed in the podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent Partners in Care and its employees. Hello and welcome to the Life's Too Short podcast. This is Jason Medina.
1: And Lisa Hurley.
0: So Lisa, what are we drinking this morning?
1: This episode, we've got Strictly Organic, who we love Strictly Organic. They're great partners of ours um, over at Partners in Care.
0: How do do they partner with us?
1: I think that they donate the coffee for our um, administrative staff as well as Hospice House. It's my understanding. I got you. Yes, yes a lavender latte.
0: Interesting. Okay.
1: So that you can explore your sensitive side.
0: I have a huge sensitive side, first of all.
1: You do, actually.
0: And I would say I'm enjoying the I'm enjoying the lavender latte.
1: I kind of went random with pumpkin spice, which I always think of more like Thanksgiving time yeah. and Christmas. And then as soon as those holidays pass, it's like really hard to find pumpkin spice. So uh, I'm kind of going back And time and... Okay. Well, I I know know where I need to
0: go It's kind of comforting. Absolutely. It's comfort
1: coffee.
0: (laughs) Pumpkin spice is comfort coffee. I actually had... um, I took my kids on a coffee date this past fall and got them pumpkin spice.
1: Oh, so your kids drink coffee? Two of
0: them got steamers and then one we went full-blown caffeinated.
1: They used to... I think my parents used to say it stunts your growth. But yes. Is that a thing?
0: And puts hair on your chest.
1: I'm just hoping there'll always be good data around why it's important to drink coffee. Because yes. I'm going with that.
0: I'm I agree. That and red wine. Begin with coffee in the morning, finish with red wine in the night, and you will live till 120.
1: Sounds good and to me. Then
0: the podcast would be life's too long, <laughs> wouldn't it?
1: <laughs> Totally. Oh, my gosh. Well, so the last time we recorded was shortly after that, the tragic news of Kobe Bryant and his daughter, Gianna, and seven others that uh, were in that horrific accident. Yes.
0: Unbelievable. You just realize once again that could happen at any time. And always our expectation of, oh, we'll make it to 85 or 90 or 95 and just die in our sleep. as, As ideal as that is, is not necessarily the actual case.
1: One of the things that i I felt came out of that as we heard so many people talking about that situation, obviously we were all grieving mm-hmm. as a as a nation as a well, as a world really yeah. um, about that but messages emerged about exactly what we're talking about in these podcasts mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. hug your family, live your life I mean I'm not saying like be reckless but do the things that you want to do because tomorrow's not promised for anyone.
0: No, no. I really appreciate Shaq on a pregame show on TNT. He just said, it makes me think that in life, sometimes instead of holding back certain things, we should just do them and, and not to go, oh, I'll just wait till tomorrow because truly things I should be saying, um, friendships that went sour that maybe I need to own some of the junk and reconcile that. Don't wait till tomorrow. Today's a great day to, to do some of that stuff.
1: I think all these messages really—it's a great segue to our our guest today,
0: Jenny Blackman. Welcome to the studio.
1: That's Doctor Blackman. I'm sorry, Doctor Blackman. <laughs> Please, Jenny. Do you, do you
0: prefer? I was going to say, which do you, do you prefer? Jenny, for Jenny.
1: Sure. I want to talk about that for a second because, okay, you you let our listeners know, Jason, that you were from L.A. Yes. I'm going to admit that I was a pharmaceutical rep for many years. Mm-hmm. Isn't it always so funny in movies how they always have like Jessica Alba and Heather Locklear <laughs> playing the drug rep in a in – a, Right. Steve, they've Steve got Steve never you. playing the drug rep. Well, you had to be so respectful, yeah. and you know we would never call a doctor Jenny. Right. But I think it's changing. Is it changing? I think the younger
2: generation – not that I'm part of that anymore – um, grew up more casual, maybe, and I certainly consider my work a partnership. And
1: doctor feels too hierarchical for me. And I, you prefer Jenny? I do. Okay. All right. Hey, I have two words about my the drug rep thing. Yes. The notebook. Did you know that was written by a pharmaceutical rep? The notebook. Who? Wh- wh- no, Jason, it's... you're like a movie. Buff. I know,
0: and he's written all of those love stories.
1: Yes. Nicholas Sparks. That's
0: it. That's right. I the best book I ever threw away. <clears throat> Can I say that?
1: What yes. dr-
2: What was his drug?
1: Oh, I don't. I, I don't didn't know me. he was a drug salesman. Y- yeah. Sorry.
0: I guess pharmaceutical rep. Drug salesman sounds like you park in an alley it and flashing headlights Trench twice.
1: Right. It was. Yeah. So we're excited to have Jenny here today, and Jenny's role. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do? for Partners in Care. I'd love to, first of all. Thank you so much. I'm so honored to be a part of this. Thank you. So I'm
2: a hospice and palliative care doctor. I work at Partners in Care. I started a palliative care program for Partners in Care going on six years ago now. Wow,
0: that's a long time already. It
2: is a long time. Time goes fast. Um, It's been so thrilling and super rewarding and Constantly in flux, a very organic process, Mm. but thoroughly enjoyed it. Very fulfilling.
0: Now, I understand that you were in family practice prior to being in palliative care. In fact, I remember having hospice patients, when they found out you came on board, were so bummed because they had visited you as a family family practitioner. What changed for you? Because you went back... To do a, a residency,
2: yeah, a fellowship.
0: A fellowship, and where was the fellowship done at?
2: At Stanford. Wow, oh, no. it right. was like my
1: dream oh to get my to gosh. Stanford. I oh, finally Stanford. did. Okay, I'm going to talk about that. So when you, <laughs> I don't know how cause my daughter's applying to colleges now, and yes. everything's online, so you don't even get that thrill of like going to the mailbox and getting the letter, the thick letter. The yes. Le- yes. <laughs> did you get a letter when you found out? you got into that program or it was an email email. even
2: back then in 2011
1: and were you just so happy
2: super excited yeah yes that's cool i mean stanford had been a dream since high school and didn't get in before but Uh. it was an incredible place to be i was so intimidated at first coming from you know bend (laughs) community practice to stanford Stanford, Uh. but And it is incredible people. I mean, tons of Nobel laureates and tons, like, crazy research. And, you know, people come from all over the world to get care there. But you realize so many people were new, you know, still in their training and Mm -hmm. having had experience being a doctor and actually taking care of patients. I had so much street smarts. (laughs) That's great you know and it really helped me to know what i wanted to get out of it and really understand what's important to you know focus on and what's doesn't matter what the more fluff is so yeah i loved it it was such a rewarding That's year great. And So really it was a year fellowship yeah my family afraid. moved down so i did family practice for 11 years oh my gosh and just had a i thought i was a good mm-hmm. family practice doctor, but had two patients in particular that I diagnosed with terrible cancers. And it was the hardest thing I've done to tell them, you know, give them the diagnosis. And even though I knew them well and felt like I could do it in a compassionate way, I just felt like I didn't know how to take care of them Mm -hmm. the way I wanted to through their next stages Mm -hmm. of life. So that was... first got me thinking about palliative care, which I didn't even know what it was then. And then when Lisa Lewis, Dr. Lewis, who's the medical director at Partners in Care, had her baby, I – covered hospice house when she was on leave
0: was that your first time being exposed to partners in care yes oh my goodness
2: yes and so i spent a month because she didn't take very much time off Mm. (laughs) working there which (laughs) which is a joke (laughs) because i mean i was i mean there's just no focus in our education on how to take care of people Mm. when they're dying and but do you the, think that's still true? As- it's changing for sure. I mean I think medical students now and certainly some residents depending what they're going into are exposed to it now. Yeah,
1: probably long overdue to have more training. Way um, overdue yeah, at that and, level.
0: And was palliative care birth more on the coast or was it just west coast? Was Stanford one of the first
2: no, um, I think no. more East Coast. I mean, right. England was, you know, Dame Cicely course, Saunders, yes. one of the founders, and um, Stanford, well, San Diego a big was a big early, you know, San Diego Hospice, mm-hmm. and they had a huge fellowship program. Um, so I think California before the Northwest UW and OHSU had programs, but later on.
0: Mm-hmm
1: before we we continue on with your work how's that cardamom latte my favorite Um, oh good i like i'm glad that you like your your cardamom latte i'm gonna have to try with that next time i'm at strictly organic that sounds sounds good okay so let's go back in time so you you're from the east coast correct dc dc and then you went U C Santa Cruz yeah, underground, right? No, that's next to Stanford. That's a big, <laughs> much more fun than I, Stanford. I can't think actually, of two
0: polar opposites <laughs> than D C and Santa Cruz.
2: It <laughs> was very different. The two things that struck me were. People spoke so slowly. <laughs> it was like, come right. on, get it
1: out. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and then the
2: other thing I couldn't, that shocked me was people would wait at the traffic light until it turned green, even if there's like no car in sight. Oh, my God. Really? We don't do that on the East Coast, but it didn't take long to realize this lifestyle makes so much more sense yeah. <laughs> and it's so I much bet. more pleasant.
0: I imagine that wasn't the only option available to you. Going into college. No,
2: I was deciding between Tufts in Boston and Santa Cruz is what I had narrowed it down to, and I went up to Tufts one day with my stepmom, and it had been warm in D.C., and so I was wearing you know a little spring skirt, and we get to Boston, and it was freezing cold and rainy, so all day I was just uncomfortable, and it just felt like this is like my high school, exactly. Just people are a little older, but it's the same culture, Mm -hmm. the same mentality, the Mm -hmm. same people. Then I went out to Santa Cruz for a visit and we had a family friend who was maybe 10 years older than me who was actually in med school at Stanford at the time. So he took me out to Santa Cruz and we spent a couple
1: days and ah, it's an amazing place. So it was an easy decision. And at that time, did you know you wanted to be a physician?
2: No. It was the one thing that I kept coming back to. Um, I majored in French literature. I spent a year in France really? and biology. Oh gosh. But I wasn't sure. I decided for sh- sure during college.
1: And what, In so did you take a class in, in college that kind of swayed you or it was always but in the I back of your mind? I did pre-med
2: stuff. I mean, I was a biology major, so I did anatomy and physiology and love that but so
0: it just kind of clicked as it you were clicked going and when i was in france for the
2: year i w- was in school at the university there and i had a friend who was in med school in a french woman and she one day had been in surgery doing helping with a surgery and came home and was so like passionate and she was describing the uterus and In I can't do the disgrace of speaking in French. (laughs) No, she was so like just her enthusiasm that kind of cemented it for me. But I did a lot of work at the Women's Health Center and Planned Parenthood, and had had a not specific medical experience, but experience in the health field, and was always drawn to it. Where did you go to medical school? In Albany, New York.
0: Following that. You moved to Bend, I assume, or at some point you moved to Bend.
2: Yep, I moved. Well, I trained in Seattle. Okay. I went from New York to Seattle. I Trained in family practice. Jumping coast. Yeah, yeah. I I love love Seattle. East, West.
1: East, West.
2: Yeah. And then I met Tim, who's my now husband, who was moving soon after we met to Vermont because he's a doctor and was doing his training in Burlington. All right. So, 18 months later, I ended up moving to Vermont. Oh my gosh. So So back back again, back to the East Coast and worked there for two years and it was this amazing first job in a tiny, you know, thirty bed hospital where sometimes you'd be the only doctor in the whole place that did deliveries and taking care of people in the ICU and yeah. You were the
0: person called on for everything. Yeah.
1: It was fun, but intense yeah it's probably interesting how all of your experiences really kind of culminate to your the work maybe that you 're doing I now think and think so i want i'm sure people are maybe confused about what palliative care means or is i mean I know i out in my work in in outreach. I noticed there's a lot of confusion. People think palliative care is hospice. Can you talk a little bit about the difference and what exactly when you're talking about the palliative care program that you started, what does that mean? Palliative care is a medical specialty like cardiology or orthopedics or anything
2: else. We take care of people that are dealing with a serious illness. And take care of their families. So we have two main focuses. One is quality of life. So we expertly treat any symptoms, whether it's physical or emotional or spiritual, to help people live the best they can with their illness. And the other thing we do, which is equally as important, is to really get to know patients and what's important to them and then help frame within the context of their illness What makes the most sense for them, and how do we as a team, which I'm just one small part of, how do we give them the best care possible? Hospice is one small subset of palliative care. In the U.S., hospice is a philosophy but also an insurance benefit, so there's restrictions on hospice. People have to have six months or less to live and can't be getting certain disease-modifying treatments like chemotherapy for someone with cancer when they're getting hospice. Palliative care is totally different, and we know that people live longer and better if palliative care is involved early, soon after their diagnosis. The earlier palliative care gets involved, the better the outcomes.
0: So in a practical way, let me lay out. So if someone has been diagnosed with cancer and they're seeing their oncologist and they're also still connected with their their primary they can still see a palliative care yeah, specialist. So,
2: so we're an extra layer of support for them and their family in addition to all their other doctors. We don't replace anybody. And all the initial studies were done in cancer patients, and we know now that we're better than chemotherapy in certain kinds
1: of cancer as far as helping people live longer. I think patients are wanting to be advocates for their own health. And this seems like an important piece of it because just having to be an advocate for yourself, you have to have a really good understanding of your disease process and options, and it seems like oftentimes people are confused. So it sounds like palliative care can help in that respect. Absolutely. It's a lot of what we do is help with communication
2: between their different doctors and really sit down and make sure people understand what different treatments will get them or often won't achieve. We know that when people really understand their options, most of us don't want aggressive interventions that aren't going to help us live longer or improve our quality of life and in medicine our system's so complex it's easy to just keep doing one more thing and we lose sight of the overall picture
1: This sounds like a way to kind of have that holistic approach and in just incorporating all the different elements because some, I mean, I'm sure a lot of patients that might be, you be you might see for a consult have other things going on as well. In addition to the serious illness, maybe they're there to talk to you about. It's a way to kind of put it all together. And a lot of other providers don't have the
2: time. I mean, I'm embedded in the oncology practice, so most of what I do is with cancer patients. And the oncologist has to look at all the tests, the evaluations, talk about treatments, make the treatment plan. And it takes time. They don't have as much time to focus on their symptoms.
0: Will someone see you multiple times? Or is it meant to be like a one-time visit where you just kind of look at all of their treatment?
2: It most pe- the average is about three visits per patient. Sometimes it's a one time consult to help clarify their goals, which may be to transition to hospice. So they would then go to hospice, and I wouldn't be involved mm. as a palliative care provider, but maybe as a hospice doctor. You'd some men- I I'm sorry sorry some no. I may see twelve times because they have a lot of active symptoms, and some patients I see weekly because they have ongoing symptoms and medications that we're managing.
0: So it all depends on specifically the patient, and there's not one-size-fits-all. Correct. You had mentioned that hospice is given that name partly because of the insurance and the reimbursement. So then right now, how does palliative care work with Medicare or private insurances?
2: Palliative care is like seeing any other doctor. So all insurances pay for us. Our value financially to the system is cost savings. We know that patients who... Have palliative care support cost the system less, so insurers love palliative care because not only is it better care for their patients
1: who live better, it costs them less money so so now that you 've been doing the program for oh over five years, what are the what 's the feedback you get from the physicians that you 're working with and the patients I think that the oncologist couldn't practice without me now.
2: And it's not me without having palliative care support. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're such an integrated team and um, work so well together that I think it's really good for their patients and it's really helped them.
0: Will you see patients specifically at the clinic or have you made home visits as well?
2: We do some home visits. There's all, everyone across the country is trying to figure out how to best do palliative care. Our program, we're based three days a week in the oncology clinic. Christine Pearson works with me, too. We have a palliative care nurse who's doing a lot of the follow-ups with these patients in their home, or because we have home health service through Partners in Care, she does a lot of home visits on our home health patients, many of whom are needing help clarifying their goals, and many transition to hospice after they understand what it is and what the value is um i do an occasional home visit but it's hard more challenging to what are be patients on the road. and
1: families saying to you in terms of feedback on the care that they're receiving from the palliative care team most
2: people love it i mean it's a lot of extra attention we have so much more time than their other specialists have to really sit down and talk about what matters most so we keep track of patient satisfaction and family satisfaction as a tool for us to improve and we've had excellent responses
0: it sounds like bedside manner is a strong component of palliative care where you take the time to sit with someone and make sure they and other family members understand all that's going on um medications needed and possibly not needed anymore as well as as options going forward but to sit with someone and say i'm not in a rush i'm here to sit with you and figure out what is it we need to do what is it your that your goals are um it's a much needed thing in medicine so i applaud you and all all of your cohorts across the country who are doing this and trying to discover new ways of providing care and support
2: yeah well thanks for saying it it's such rewarding work. And sometimes you really feel like a hero just helping people get the care
1: that they want. You and are helping- a hero. Oh, yes, you're absolutely. a superhero. Yeah. So we, we talked a lot about um, oncology and, and cancer patients. Like what other um, disease patients with other disease processes could benefit from a palliative care consult?
2: Many do. We, about half the patients we see as a field have cancer, but any advanced End stage disease. Like okay. dementia? A like lot that? of neurologic diseases. Dementia. Dementia is one case where seeing someone early is really critical when mm. somebody can still have the ability to participate in the conversation and really help a family, their family, understand what they'd be willing to go through and what they wouldn't. You know, do they want their life prolonged if they don't recognize their loved ones, if they're totally dependent for all cares, if they're bedbound And to have those conversations early can relieve so much angst and, mm. and oh, more than yeah. angst. I mean, Absolutely. just years of extending a life that somebody may not want. Mm-hmm. And if it's not clarified early, many families don't know what the right thing is.
0: Right. What about chronic illnesses such as complications of Kidney failure, so someone 's going through dialysis or type two diabetes to where heart just failure to get, any yeah, get end worse.
2: stage disease, so certainly any renal patient on dialysis okay. is an appropriate person to have palliative care involvement end stage heart failure or coronary artery disease we see a lot of patients with end stage lung disease COPD or pulmonary fibrosis. Lots of Parkinson's. Mm. And a lot of that is support for families and symptom management, ALS. We're involved with the ALS clinic through St. Charles.
1: I'm just kind of curious, in a, in a consult, like, what are the kinds of questions you're asking patients to kind of get at, like, quality of life is different for everybody. What are some of the questions you're asking to kind of pull out some of the information that you're trying to kind of help and guide? That's a great question, and it's can be hard to do sometimes. I try to do
2: really open-ended questions. So first, you know, kind of just set some rapport, get to know someone, try to help them be at ease. Comfortable. and then, yeah, start asking, well, what if you were feeling good? How do you spend your time? Or what do you like to do? And what do you hope for? Are there things you're looking forward to? And then specifically, I mean, I'll ask, what makes life meaningful to you? What makes you want to wake up in the morning? What gives you pleasure? And
0: So this is as much spiritual, existential as it is not just physical.
2: Absolutely. And we work as palliative care should be done as a team like hospice, a multidisciplinary team. So social work, chaplain, um, provider, medical providers. Are
0: there people with that model around the country who are providing the same type of supportive team as hospice in palliative care? Absolutely.
2: Palliative care really got hold in the US in hospitals. So started mostly in inpatient. And I don't know the latest numbers, but about 90% of hospitals over 300 beds have embedded palliative care in the hospital now. So it's really made huge strides. The move now is really trying to reach patients further upstream in their disease course. Right. So more community-based, like what we're doing at Partners in Care, because many of those people should never be in the hospital in the first place because it, a hospitalization won't help them get to where they want to be.
0: But if they knew they had the support earlier on, right, they would know who to call, who to contact, who to go see.
2: Right. So everybody's trying to figure that out. And most do work as a interdisciplinary team.
1: The work that you do, I mean, I'm sure it's like such complex patience and when you add not just the medical side of it, but as you mentioned, the existential and spiritual side, it's its probably um, heavy work for you as a provider. Um, one thing that I appreciate about you, Jenny, is I think you have such a, you, you uh, model balance which is quality of life is not just for someone going through a serious illness but it's for as we talked about when we started with um Kobe's tragedy that kind of reminds us of you know having balance in our life and doing the things we love to do. I know you love to travel and um that's probably important to keep you um energized in your work. Can uh, you speak to that? Of course. So hospice and palliative care is the medical
2: specialty that has the highest burnout rate. The work is really heavy. I'll say ninety five percent of the time I come home feeling exhilarated mm. because you we don't change what the overall well not we do change the course We don't change the outcome right I mm-hmm. mean we are working with a lot of people sad (laughs) situations and people dealing with a serious illness or nearing end of life or when they're actively dying. It's hard, but we make every situation better Mm -hmm. by either treating symptoms or helping families understand Mm -hmm. what's happening or just helping people make the choices that are right for them. So it can be really, to be able to empower people to have, to make the right choices is so meaningful. Mm -hmm. There are hard days, but to me, I burnout is always on the mind for me and for the team I'm Mm -hmm. helping manage. So, for balance is key. And, um, how do you
1: do that? How do you have balance in your life and the work you do? I try to
2: have good boundaries. So, my days off, I
1: Good Don't have you. my work phone. and You're off. It. You're at strictly organic
2: order. I'm drinking cardamom, cardamom lattes yeah. on the ski slope. And running. Oh. And running's huge. You're still running? Trail running, Good. I am. Less this winter, but skiing instead.
1: Traveling. Um, You've learning new cool stuff, places. mountain biking. And I love
2: to travel. Yeah. So that keeps me fresh and trying to keep time for my boys and my new daughter. We have an exchange student. <sighs>
0: Wow! So. Congratulations! Thank I you. I didn't I even did not know shout. that.
1: <laughs> that uh, <laughs> you carried that so well.
0: I'm curious, though, with there are certain obviously conversations being had about healthcare right now, on both sides of the aisle, but you being entrenched in it and. Having now been part of palliative care for six, seven years, what would be a dream of yours if healthcare could evolve in this country, what would that look like? And maybe you alluded to it earlier about catching people further upstream. But I'm just curious, what where do you wish healthcare would go at this point in time?
2: Good question. We need health care reform. We there's no palliative care program in the country that's profitable. Because our, the way our current reimbursement is, we get paid, our, the value is cost savings. So for a hospital system, it makes sense. Uh, for an insurance company, it makes sense. But for an agency like ours or many others in the country, we all lose money. So we're all, so we're st- staying afloat through generous grant funding and because we do hospice Palliative care results in earlier and longer hospice stays, and so we're okay, but it's it's stretched.
0: it's not funded adequately to keep these programs going for for the long term
2: Absolutely. So CMS, Medicare, just proposed an alternative payment model. We actually applied to be one of the pilot sites. So they're looking at how do we pay for this valuable service in a way that we can support ourselves. We're not looking to make a lot of money, but just to be able to do the work that's so needed.
1: Well, yeah, and as a nonprofit, of course, we want to be able to, you know, keep putting um, services, programs back into the community that we're always finding gaps in care, and, and palliative care is hugely important in that. And so, I yeah, to have adequate funding um, would be great.
2: Yeah, but there's been a few palliative care bills to help with education. Um, and they've actually been one of the rare move, movements, actions that's had bipartisan support. Wonderful. Which, interestingly, so did the recent COVID. I mean, there's no legislation, yeah. but there's bipartisan support for more resources with this unknown that's coming. And so yeah. it's funny that healthcare is,
1: yeah, there's yeah.
2: certainly extremes, like with the whole Sarah Palin death panels. Right. Certainly didn't help our cause, but I think... The country's really moved past that, and it's, well, palliative care and hospice, when people understand what it is, it's 95% of people want it. I mean, why yeah. wouldn't you? It adds a lot without it, taking it, away yeah, anything. It just makes sense.
0: So hopefully with these studies that CMS will ultimately do, they'll discover the cost savings and then shift some of those cost-saving dollars over to palliative care programs, ultimately knowing they're still saving a bunch in the end.
2: right. And we're, we have small models with specific payers, like Pacific Source has been an early huge Which, congratulations huge supporter. on the, the
0: new grant that was just announced. Thank you. Very, I very nice.
1: I was going to say, and Jenny's so humble, but your team have, you have won awards for the programs, or our program that you've put together, and um, you've been nationally recognized. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the awards you've won? Oh. No, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well not really awards. I've
2: presented some posters at the our national conferences that have been recognized as having the ability to make an impact in the or showing making an impact in the field. Yeah. Everybody's looking to figure out how do we do this? And we were one of uh, early people doing community-based palliative care outside of an academic center. And,
1: Which is so cool when you think about it in Central Oregon. I mean, we're not we're, a metropolitan area. No, and, we're and just, certainly we're not the only ones. But. but we're
0: pioneers being Oregonians, and so that fits with the, the overall state. Uh, name, yes. I
2: yes,
1: so true. And for me,
2: I have a drive to really be part of the national movement and contribute. It's such an early field, so to contribute to research. So I like to put us out there to just have that conversation on a more national level. So we have been lucky, and I have a mentor, Janet Bull, who's a big leader in our field who's kind of taken me under her wing and pushed me into opportunities that I wouldn't have already had. So. Wonderful.
0: I look forward to your article in JAMA someday. Well, I'm, I'm waiting for it.
1: I got to yeah. start writing that. Start <laughs> writing that um, for sure. So, gosh. Well,
0: thank you for being a guest with us. It has been a pleasure to have you. And I'm sure for all of our listeners, they really appreciated you being here with us.
1: I forgot to re ask the question if coffee stunts your growth. Oh, that's it right. It definitely gives hair on your chest. What keep
2: I drinking, thought. though,
1: Lisa. Thank you. Yes. That's what I wanted to hear. My doctor said I need to keep drinking. How about red wine?
0: Definitely. Awesome. All right. I like this doctor. Too bad you're not, you can't be a primary anymore though.
2: I can still give advice. Thank you so much for being here with us. This was was really fun. And and,
1: um, just thank you for all of the, the work that you and your team are doing for our community. It's so, so important. So. Appreciate you.
0: Is there any place that people can go online to find out more, just either about palliative care or your specific program in the clinic?
2: Well, certainly through the Partners in Care website. There's some information. Getpalliativecare.org is a website through CAPSI, which is a center to advance palliative care. They're a huge leader and um, really proactive with policy. And
0: And you're advocates.
2: Yeah. We're members and participants.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you for being a guest. This is Jason Medina.
1: And Lisa Hurley.
0: And you're listening to Life's Too Short. There's
2: a website through CAPSI, which is a center to advance palliative care. They're a huge leader and um, really proactive with policy. And,
0: and your advocates.
2: Yeah. And we're members yep. and participants.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you for being a guest. This is Jason Medina.
1: And Lisa Hurley.
0: And you're listening to Life's Too Short.